Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Father Was a Fullback from 1949. The studio was 20th Century Fox, and the release date was September 30th, 1949. The running time is 84 minutes, and it was in black and white. I tried to find the budget, but couldn't. But I did find the box office, which was $1.8 million, and this was the 59th ranked movie of 1949, according to a Variety Magazine article from January of 1950. Leonard Malden from his classic movie guide gives it 2.5 out of 4 stars. His quick little synopsis is, Wholesome comedy with an engaging cast. Fred McMurray is a football coach with as many household problems as on the gridiron. I'm pretty sure I saw this movie on Turner Classic Movies at some point, and I enjoyed it since it's fun, it's quick, it's a comedy, and had two of my favorite classic actors, Fred McMurray and Maureen O'Hara. And eventually... 20th Century Fox and other film companies began to release on-demand DVDs, which are essentially DVD-Rs, uh, pressed from the studio, and that's how I got Father Was a Fullback. All right, let's get into the main cast. Fred McMurray plays George Cooper, and I covered McMurray's career during the Shaggy Dog episode, but I can give a quick recap of his most popular films prior to Father Was a Fullback. McMurray would eventually be known for his lovable dad-type roles, similar to this film, but early on he was definitely in more leading man-type roles and even film noir, most notably Double Indemnity with Barbara Stanwyck in 1944. His most consistent co-star was Claudette Colbert. He appeared in seven films with her from the 1930s through the 1940s. He also appeared in four films with Carol Lombard. Maureen O'Hara plays Elizabeth Cooper, and I covered O'Hara's career in the Sitting Pretty episode, which was a year prior to Father Was a Fullback. But if you missed that episode, go back and check it out. But O'Hara was born in Ireland before moving to Hollywood when she was 19 in the late 1930s to kind of further her acting career. O'Hara was best known for her strong female roles and no-nonsense attitude, along with her beauty and her flowing red hair. And fans of Disney films will remember her from the original Parent Trap as the mom of Haley Mills. A few memorable early roles for O'Hara included Jamaica Inn, which was a Hitchcock film, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, How Green Was My Valley, and Miracle on 34th Street. Other well-known co-stars in this film include a young Natalie Wood, who also played O'Hara's daughter in Miracle on 34th Street. Also Thelma Ritter's in this, Rudy Valley, Jim Backus, and Betty Lynn. The director was John Stahl, and this would be Stahl's second-to-last film before his death in 1950. Stahl started directing silent pictures in 1913. His most notable films include Imitation of Life with Claudette Colbert in 1934, Magnificent Obsession with Irene Dunn in 1935, and Leave Her to Heaven with Gene Tierney. All right, let's get into the film. So like most movies of this era, the film starts with the opening credits, which are far shorter than, you know, the eternity that modern credits take. But for this movie, the credits are absolutely fun. There's these little charming still cartoons drawn of the main characters in the film. The film begins with narration from Elizabeth Cooper. That's Maureen O'Hara giving the main plot of the film. This is Riverville, better known as University City. And this is the story of what happened at the State University the year we had a losing football team. My husband, George Cooper, is the head coach at State U. And that's me there in the stands during the third game of that dreadful, disastrous season. And that's my husband, George, the nice-looking one. 
And that creature next to him is Roger Jessup. Couldn't you just guess it? He is the president of the Alumni Association. George Cooper, played by Fred McMurray, is dressed like the legendary Chicago Bears coach George Hallis while standing on the sidelines with his fedora and long wool coat. The footage from the movie is actually real because it's some sort of college football game at the time. I can't tell you which teams are playing because very few teams had logos on their helmets or jerseys in that point. Plus, the film's in black and white, so there goes trying to identify a team by color. Now, I love my dad and my uncle were always able to, they were the best at figuring out which pro teams from back in the day are from black and white films, so it's always funny to hear them you know when they see black and white footage to pick up oh no no that was the lions or that, those were the you know whoever so the college at george coaches is called state college <laughs> i know very original kind of reminds me of beverly hills 90210 when all of the cast went to cu <laughs> anyway state finally scores a touchdown on a long pass but it's called back due to a penalty even though Elizabeth isn't coaching, she still goes through the trauma of a losing team as the crowd berates George every chance they get, and she hears every taunt. Finally, after one fan won't stop saying what a terrible coach George is, Elizabeth stands up and pulls the guy's hat down over his eyes. Dejected, George tries to make the best of a terrible season when he addresses the team in the locker room after the game. Well, boys, we can't win them all. There's another Saturday coming up. Yeah, Santa Clara. Any statement from my paper coop? We was robbed. At 33 to nothing? So they had a better team. Take it easy, will you, Skip? I wish I could, but I can't. The wolves are howling, Coop. I gotta get them the word. Nothing personal. Okay, throw them a bone. I was gonna ask you characters to come out to the house for cider and donuts, but uh, we'd better skip it. The donuts might remind you of the score. <laughs> anyway, you all tried, I guess. Go home and relax. Have a good weekend. We'll hit it hard Monday. Good night, Coach. Good night, Coach. Good night, Ed. Good night, Coach. Keep your chin up. Could have been worse. I don't know how. When George arrives home, he sees some younger men running away from his house as they, as they painted Goodbye Coach on his driveway. This kind of reminds me of the scene in All the Right Moves with Tom Cruise when the locals decided to vandalize the coach's house, which was Craig T. Nelson, after they lost the big game. And that was high school football. <laughs> George just wants to get home and decompress by laying on the couch before dinner. That lasts about, oh, 10 seconds, then the doorbell rings along with the phone. The Cooper's maid is Geraldine, played by the always awesome Thelma Ritter. Elizabeth takes the phone call, trying to explain to the caller that they can't change the offense to what they're suggesting, which, as the caller is suggesting that the team go back to the style of play from 1911. <laughs> Pre-Twitter, idiot fans would call the coach directly, it seems. So the visitor at the door is Roger Jessup, played by Rudy Valley, who is a college booster and recruiter and isn't happy with the way the team is being run by George. For those that say that pro football is corrupt and then claim that college sports are on the up and up, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, college sports are the definition of corruption. So State is 0-3 at this point. The problem isn't bad coaching, but simply the team doesn't have enough talent to compete with the other schools. So, in general, coaches either get way too much credit when they do well or way too much blame when they don't do well. While a good coach can get the most out of the team regardless of talent, you still need talented players to succeed, no matter who the coach is. And Jessup isn't recruiting enough talent. We then meet the Cooper's youngest daughter, Ellen, played by Natalie Wood, who shines as always with her quick-witted dialogue. Hiya, Mom. Hi. Good night. Oh, uh, good night. 
Hello, Ellen. Where did you get that mouse? Up you, Nana Fusser. Aren't we Coopers unpopular enough in this town without you picking up shiners? You ought to feel proud, Daddy. I was defending your honor. What honor? Stinky Parker said, quotes, that knothead couldn't coach a great school team, meaning you. And I said, dig a hole, Mo. That knothead could too. Also meaning you. Thank you, Ellen. Anytime, Pop. Now you run upstairs and get cleaned up for dinner. And no roller skates the dinner table. Roger. The Cooper's oldest daughter, Connie, played by Betty Lynn, then arrives home, who is a major drama queen, which I suppose is redundant for a teenage girl. Good evening, Father. Good evening, Mother. Would you please have my dinner sent up to my room on a tray? Why? Because I'm going to stay in my room alone for the entire weekend until Monday when I have to go back to school. But until then, please, may I have all my meals on a tray? The score was only 33 to nothing. There are more important things in life than football, Father. Oh, and if any mail comes for me from confession stories, please have it sent up to me. Unopened. Has she been writing those stories again? No, dear. The same one she wrote last spring. She's just tired of being rejected, that's all. Rejected? By the magazines? By the boys. Connie? You get ready and come right down to dinner. Geraldine has enough to do without carrying trays up to you. I've got to have privacy. You can have all the privacy you want after dinner. With the people in this house, how can you expect understanding? Connie, did you hear me? Not now, Father. What the devil is wrong with that girl? Her PQ's in a nosedive. Her what? Personality quotient. That means she's got a low hooper rating with the wolves. It's just adolescence, dear. She lived through it. And the question is, will we? I only know that if I ever have another child, it'll be a government project. What? Oh, uh, the Department of the Interior or Public Health or something. I'll get every pamphlet they publish and raise the next one scientifically. Mother, don't you feel that a cake of soap, which happens to be lying in your own public bathroom, is something that I have a right to pick up and take a smell of? Not if it's Connie's. I'll get it, dear. But, Daddy, is the smell hers? Well, uh... I mean... Doesn't a thing like a smell belong to anybody Hello? who happens to be passing by with a nose to smell it? Yes, Ellen, I'd say that smells were in the public domain. But never mind that. You get up and get washed and come down to dinner. Okay. Constance? Come in, Father, if you must. Constance, you listen to me. Father, then if you've come for an explanation of why I wouldn't let Ellen use it, it's because it's only good for 20 applications, and then it's all gone. Now, let's not get into that smell business again. Besides, it isn't important to her. She's just a child. I'm the one who really needs it. Connie, listen. I'm in the lowest classification a girl could fall to, Father. I'm... I'm chintzy. Chintzy? Is that bad? Bad. Oh, Father, it's the end. Connie, it's time you and I talk some plain, unadulterated common sense. The only classification I'm interested in is your relationship with this family. You are one of four of us. Therefore, you are entitled to only one-fourth of the tantrums around here. Do you understand? Tantrums? Is that what you think of me? What else do you want me to think? I come home for a little peace and quiet, and do I get a little peace and quiet? No. All I get are problems. 
and problems about girls at that. You always wanted a boy, didn't you, Father? You were always sorry I turned out to be a girl, weren't you? Connie, you know that isn't true. I'm sorry I let you down, Father. I'm sorry I wasn't a potential tackle. Connie, for heaven's sake. <laughs> Listen to me, darling. I'm not sorry you're a girl. You're a wonderful girl. You're young and attractive. Why, you've got everything. Except a passing grade in Latin. I'm a complete and utter mess, that's what I am. You're no such thing. I'm just gruesome. At school, when the boys look at me, they practically vomit. Connie, that's ridiculous. Why, before you're through, you'll have dozens of men at your feet. Groveling. Don't, Father. Don't do this to yourself. The only thing I want to do to myself is feed my face. Now you get up from there and come down to dinner at once. Please come down to dinner at once. I can't. To match Ellen's wit, you have Geraldine the Maid, which is basically the role that Thelma Ritter always seemed to play and be typecast as. Well, dear, did you uh, common sense her? Yes. No. Liz, we've got to be especially nice to Connie. Something is wrong with her. Connie's a pill. You sign off. Ain't Ophelia coming down? No, Geraldine. She's not feeling well. She needs a lot of rest and privacy. She needs a quick belt on the chops. Geraldine! And speaking of chops, if you don't get to the table on time, you'll be eating leather instead of meat. Geraldine, you'd better take a tray up to Connie. The exercise will do me good. Nothing heavy, Geraldine, just a poached egg. Eggs. Eggs. Him and his corny jokes. What? Not you, dear. Schultz. Who? The grocer. He sent us goose eggs instead of hen's eggs. He says goose eggs is more fitting for the coach's diet. Aha. Uh ah, -huh. oh, now don't let it get you down, Mr. Cooper. He's just a big sorehead. He's got no sporting blood. He's just burned up on account of I won two bucks from him on the game today. Good for you, Geraldine. You can't tell by the clip, but George did a great double take when he realized that Geraldine bet against his team to win her bet. Connie's drama carries over the next day when she makes a scene outside of church after the sermon. George is talking to a few of his players when Connie approaches them and expects to be introduced. George doesn't realize this is what Connie wants, and they go their separate ways. So Connie runs away in a huff, upset that George didn't bother to realize that she was standing next to him and wanting to be introduced. Again, she's just an annoying teenager. Ellen tries to cheer up Connie while walking home, which is really funny because she's really just making fun of her. What is wrong with that girl? She's a creep. Is that a nice thing to say? Don't you like your sister? Sure I like her, bless her pointed little head, but she's still a creep. Well, you be nice to her. Okay. Hey, Connie. I've got news for you. After you left, he asked about you. Who? The gorgeous item in the gray pants. If my memory serves me correctly, I do not recall any gray pants. You mean you didn't see him? He was devoon, simply devoon. You're making it up. I am not. Where were you? He nearly tripped over the pew for leering at you. Where was he sitting? Four rows in front of us. The dreamboat with the shocking puce tie. And after you left, he swanked up to me and said, Who was the pulchritude who just left? Meaning you. And I said... What's his name? Um, uh, Birch. Joe Birch. He liked your dress, too. 
Oh, he did. I don't believe you. And, and then he said, how's about fixing me up with a date? And, and I said, give her a ring, Bing. Father, how can you let her do this to me? How can you let her ridicule me and, and lie to me? Well, what makes you think she's lying? Because no boy in his right mind would like this dress and me in it. Next time, dear, couldn't we have a nice, quiet cocker spaniel? They should. George walks outside and talks to his neighbor, Professor Sullivan, played by Jim Backus, about his predicament with Connie. Sully, as George calls him, suggests that someone call Connie acting like the boy that Ellen made up. George says he just can't do that since Connie knows his voice. You can kind of see where this one's going. A few hours later, Connie gets a call from, quote, Joe Birch, basically saying that he saw her at church and likes her. And this is actually Sully disguising his voice. The plan backfires when Connie invites him over to the house. Sully panics and hangs up the phone while his little daughter comes into the room after listening to the call. Connie now thinks that a college freshman named Joe Birch is interested in her. Ellen, of course, spoils the ruse. Hiya, Coach. Hi, Ellen. Say, Coach. Oh, George, I'm so excited myself you think it was my first date. Say, Mommy, oh, I... Oh, Ellen. By the way, just what's all this lying about you're lying about? Listen, is Mr. Sullivan going to college? Not going, dear. He's a professor. He teaches English literature. No, I mean going. Well, Ellen, that's ridiculous. Go and get cleaned up. Daphne heard him gurgling on the phone like a worn-out wolf that he's a freshman in college. Oh, what an idea. George Cooper. And he was pitching woo with a girl, too. Daphne thinks maybe she ought to tell her mother. George, you didn't. Father's little helper. Oh, you couldn't. But, Liz, you said yourself it's what she needed. My intentions oh, were... my poor darling up there full of goosebumps about, about some boy who isn't even going to happen. Well, she's my poor darling, too. I was only trying to help. You said yourself, ego and adolescence. Which is difficult enough for Connie without having her father completely fouled up. Gee. That's enough out of you. Go to your room. Well, the only thing to do is to tell her. And the sooner the better. Oh, no, no, Liz, don't do it. Well, why should we continue this disgraceful deception? Well, because she's happy with her goosebumps. Let her keep them. She's happy over something that isn't going to last. What do you want her to do, marry the first guy who telephones her? Are you afraid to tell her the truth? George, you're a coward. Yes, I am. The longer we put off telling her the truth, the longer she'll be happy. All right, I did it. I'll tell her. I'll tell her just as soon as... as soon as I get up the courage. Very well. At least I can try and prepare. So while at a gas station, Sully gets a bright idea to bribe the attendant to act like Joe Birch and show up to Connie's house for a date. George and Elizabeth aren't aware of Sully's plan and are about to break the news to Connie when, quote, Joe Bird shows up to their house. <laughs> Unfortunately, like a typical screwball comedy, Ellen, Sully's daughter, and Geraldine all decided to do the same thing and found their own Joe Birches, and they all show up at the same time. Connie is humiliated and runs up to her room. In the meantime, George still has a game to plan for as State is traveling to Santa Clara for their next game. They end up losing 13-0. Next up is Nebraska. And State's losing streak continues as they were narrowly beaten 7-6. George returns home to find out about Geraldine's gambling habits and Connie's decision to refurnish her bedroom, which cost a whopping $76, which, you know, back in 1950, that was a lot of money. Hi, Mr. Cooper. Welcome home. Hello, Geraldine. How are you? I'm beat to the socks. When I should pour you out a stiff slug? No, thanks, Geraldine. Oh, boy, them games. I got them on the radio. Did I sweat out the last quarter of that Nebraska clam bake? 
I had two bucks riding. Oh, here, I'll take those. I'm sorry you lost, Geraldine. She didn't lose. Now, look, Geraldine, I'm about as broad-minded as they come, but do you think it's loyal to take the money I pay you and bet it against me? Well, now, look, is that the democratic attitude for you to take? You want I should bet on you and lose the shirt off my back? Well, not exactly, but you could refrain from betting at all, you know. It's not against private enterprise? Look, when a girl sees the chance to make herself a couple of fast bucks, you ain't going to take it personally, are you? Well, no, I didn't mean that. After all, dear, the money is hers. I know, but it gives a man a feeling he's nursing a serpent in his bosom or something. Look, Mr. Cooper, a buck is a buck. Mother, is he here? We'll be right up, dear. Hiya, Coach. Hello, honey. Hmm. Hello, Father. Hello, Connie. Well? well? For $76, isn't this a little uh, stark? I spent most of the money for the tools of my trade. What are you going to be, a monk? The fact is, Father, I am dedicating fully myself to literature. I'm going to be a writer again. I see. Do you sleep on this? What have you got in it, spikes? Uh, boards, dear. I'm not seeking the comforts of life, Father. You may have them all, Ellen, dear. I'll not be needing my beauty preparations anymore. Boy, oh boy, the full glamour. There go the best years of your allowance, dear. All my tissue creams for sagging facial muscles, my eyebrow pencils and everything. Just what I needed. Oh, yes, yes. I, I don't see how you got along without them all these years. Especially the tissue creams for the sagging facial muscles. Later on, when I make my fortune, I'm going to get a dictaphone and electric typewriter. AC or DC? But until then, I'll just have to write in longhand. Here's where I keep my pencils. My blue pencils for blue penciling, and my regular for regular. Mm -hmm. And of course, for final manuscripts, I'll write in ink. Why don't you get a chisel and cut your major works in stone? Father! He was just teasing, dear. You just can't get understanding from the older generation. Maybe not, but with this stuff, I'm sure going to get whoop whistles from the younger. Gee, Connie, thanks. That's all right, dear. I think I'll go to work now. What are you going to write about this time? More two confessions? No, because I never did hear from my dancing story, and I thought it was awfully good, didn't you? I thought it stank. Oh, don't be uncouth. No, this time I'm going to write real-life stories. I've decided real-life stories are easiest to do. But just what? In order to write about real life, you have to draw on something secret and sinful in your past. Why don't you tell about the time we stole Grandma's fruitcake? Oh, don't be absurd. Now, in the professional writer's book, which tells you what magazines buy, it says, the real life field requires stories with a strong emotional appeal, sexy by innuendo but not in content, and 6,000 words long. And, of course, the title has to immediately get the reader's interest. How do you like, I was a bigamist? It doesn't get my interest. Or is it better, I married five husbands. Gee, Connie, maybe you ought to be a writer. You sure can dream things up. How do you like the title? I was a mother at 15. You don't know the first thing about it. Well, I could find out, couldn't I? <gasps> Connie Cooper! Well, I mean by writing and asking questions and things. Oh. Only where would a girl write to ask the questions? The government. What? I heard Mother say that if she ever had another one, it'd be strictly between her and the United States government. Why, of course. That's a wonderful idea. I'll do it. Do I look sexy by innuendo? The next game, State loses another heartbreaker three to nothing. 
Sully and George leave the stadium together and arrive home to discover a number of letters addressed to Mrs. Cooper from the U.S. government. Assuming that Mrs. Cooper is Elizabeth, George opens the letters. What he discovers are pamphlets about parenting for new mothers. <laughs> As you can imagine, this leads to a Three's Company type mix-up, thinking that Elizabeth is going to have another child. When George greets Elizabeth when she gets home later in the evening, the mix-up gets even more complicated. Sweetheart. Oh, darling. Come in here and sit down. Aren't you a little impetuous, dear? Of course I'm impetuous. Why shouldn't I be impetuous? Oh, Liz. George, from these tired eyes, it looked as if Virginia won the game. Oh, the heck with Virginia. The heck with football. It's you I'm talking about. You and us and everything. George, do you feel all right? Liz, why didn't you tell me? Tell you what? Oh, you're going to be cute, huh? Oh, for heaven's sake, George, what am I going to be cute about? The least you could have done was warn me. You could have knitted a booty or something. George, are you under the impression that I'm on the nest? Liz, you're the most wonderful woman I ever married. Oh, true, darling, but I'm not going to have a baby. I couldn't be happier. I... You're not. Uh-uh. But, Liz, you've got to be. I told Jessup. Sully knows. Okay, I'll talk to my husband about no, it. No, no, I mean the pamphlets. What pamphlets? Those pamphlets you ordered from the government of the United States. Mrs. George Cooper, Mrs. George Cooper, Mrs. George Cooper, Mrs. George Cooper. Liz, this is no time to play games. I didn't send for these. Well, who did? Oh, probably one of the children. When I was a sprout, I was always sending for things like what every young girl should know. Did you ever find out? Ellen? Where are you going with that? She hasn't felt good all day. She's all doubled up like a bullfrog. She's got a terrible bellyache and she just upchucked. Who? Connie. Connie? Poor Connie. I'll take it up to her. Liz, it couldn't be. They were addressed to you, not her. Oh. Are those the pamphlets from the United States government? Connie sent for them. Oh, no. She used Mom's name because she didn't think it would look right for that kind of literature to be sent to a Miss Cooper. Oh, George. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my little Connie. Hey, Coop. Come on, we're late. Late? Late? For... It's the dinner, darling. Oh, but I can't go now, Liz. You've got to go, George. Is something wrong? Oh, no, 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 no. everything's splendid. Well, come on, we're getting later every minute. You run along, darling, and I'll go upstairs. Well, let me know. Promise you'll let me know. Call me. I'll call you as soon as I find, I mean, first chance I get. What's going on here? Nothing, Sully. Absolutely nothing. Did she finally tell you? About what? About the baby. Oh, yeah, she told me. So George has to attend the state alumni dinner with Sully that night, and before he makes a speech, he gets a call from Elizabeth that Connie is at the hospital with acute indigestion. Pregnancy mix-up solved. Now, with his spirits raised with Connie's news, George gives a rousing speech to the alumni about beating their arch-rivals Tulane in the final game. Even if the team loses every game during the season but beats Tulane, all is forgotten. Essentially, George's job depends on if he wins the final game. So, does State beat Tulane? Does Connie finally find happiness? Well, the last 20 minutes of the movie will answer those questions, but I'm not going to spoil it for you. And so, if you want to watch the film, you don't have to buy it. The film is available on YouTube for free in its entirety if you want to seek it out. 
Or you can just listen to the radio adaptation I have at the end of this episode. Unfortunately, Fred McMurray isn't the main star. It's Paul Douglas. However, you still do get Maureen O'Hara. And this is from the Lux Radio Theater from March 20th, 1950. But first, some fun facts. Betty Lynn would be best known for playing Barney Fife's girlfriend, Thelma Lou, on The Andy Griffith Show. And of course, Barney Fife was the great Don Knotts. Maureen O'Hara was only six years older than Betty Lynn, who played her daughter in the film. Gotta love it. All right, I teased the old-time radio version from the Lux Radio Theater, so let's play it now, and I will be back next week for yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Lux presents Hollywood. Lieber Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, bring you the Lux Radio Theater, starring Paul Douglas and Maureen O'Hara in... Father was a fullback with Betty Lynn. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. If in the spring a young man's fancy turns to thoughts of love, so in the fall his heart goes out to the poor football coach whose team can't win games. But even as you and your neighbor... The coach has other problems that go on all year long. For instance, the adventure of raising a family. And when the family includes a daughter who has a certain amount of difficulty attracting a boyfriend, well, it's apt to be a hit motion picture. We hear this side of the coach's life tonight in the 20th Century Fox comedy success, Father Was a Fullback. In her original role, we have a lovely lady whose vivid beauty always brightens this stage. Miss Maureen O'Hara, co-starring with her as the coach who is without fame in his own house, is a comedian whose rapid rise to stardom is unique even in this fabulous city, Mr. Paul Douglas. And as the daughter, we present Miss Betty Lynn, the same talented young actress you saw on the screen. You know, I'm sure none of the young ladies of our audience need to be coached on the advantage of Lux Toilet Soap. After seeing close-ups of their favorite stars on the screen, they know that Lux Soap Complexion Care is the right beauty care for them. Now, here's the first act of Father Was a Fullback, starring Paul Douglas as George and Maureen O'Hara as Liz, with Betty Lynn as Connie. It's Saturday, late afternoon, and good old State University has lost another football game, the third disastrous loss in a row. Coach George Cooper, weary and dejected, has gone home. Hello, darling. Oh, you must be dead. I don't know if I am, Liz, or just wish I were. Well, we can always go back and coach the team at Elm Tree High. I wouldn't bet on it. Any phone calls? Mm, the usual, dear. They all know exactly what's wrong with the team and how to correct it. Oh, don't worry, George. We can always prove we're good losers. Good? We're darn near perfect. If you'll excuse me, I intend to lie here in a dead faint until dinner time. You could use some rest and quiet. I could use a new backfield and a 250-pound line to say nothing of a big, fat aspirin. Doorbell. Sit still, Geraldine. will get it. Uh, good evening. Uh, Mr. Cooper, home yet? He's all pooped out in the parlor, Mr. Jessup. Uh, thank you. George? 
Oh, hello, George. Oh, good evening, Mrs. Cooper. Hello, Mr. Jessup. Oh, I'll get it, Geraldine. Probably another member of the alumni. Uh, Oh, oh, uh, no offense, Mr. Jessup. Now, George, you understand I don't want to criticize. I know, Jess, but as president of the Alumni Association... Exactly. They don't understand the problem. They won't let me alone, George. Three games, three losses. That's not good. I can't win games without material, and getting my material is your job. The alumni does its best. What about this kid I've heard so much about, Hercules Smith? Well, we... Here you've got a local boy at Valley High School, the greatest potential quarterback in years. Did you nail him for state, you? No. We tried, George. We certainly tried. But it seems that Hercules Smith is definitely set on Notre Dame. Anyway, we've got to win a football game, and soon... Now, Nebraska's having a bad year. You've got a good chance of taking that. We play Santa Clara before Nebraska. Oh, Santa Clara's a much smaller school. With a much bigger line. All right, then. Play it open and watch it close. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about it some more on Monday. Uh, So long, Coop. Uh, Good night, Mrs. Cooper. Oh, good night, Mr. Jessup. Can I come in now, Coach? I just told you, Ellen. Daddy's tired out. Oh, I'll just be a minute. Do you have to skate in? But, Pop, I just got home. And where'd you get that black eye? Feuding and a fussing. You should be proud of me, Pop. I was defending your honor. You were what? Well, Porky Nielsen said that Nodhead couldn't coach a grade school team, meaning you, Pop. Yes, I assumed as much. And I said dig a hole, Mole, that Nodhead could too. <laughs> also meaning you, dear. Yeah, thank you, Ellen. Oh, anytime, Pop. Now get cleaned up for dinner, dear, and no roller skates at the table. Roger. Oh, hi, Connie. Hello. Good evening, Father. Good evening, Mother. Would you please have my dinner sent up to my room on a tray? Connie, don't you feel well? Well, I simply intend to stay in my room alone for the entire weekend when I have to go back to school. But until then, please, may I have all my meals on a tray? Now, look, the score was only 33 to nothing. There are more important things in life than football, Father. Oh, and if any mail should come for me from confession stories, please have it sent up to me. Unopened. There's very rarely any mail on Saturday night or Sunday, dear. Well, maybe they'll send it special delivery. Has she been writing those stories again? No, dear. The same one she wrote last spring. She's just tired of being rejected, that's all. Rejected? By the magazines? By the boys. Connie, you get ready and come right down to dinner. Geraldine has enough to do without carrying trays. I have got to have privacy. You can have all the privacy you want after dinner. With the people in this house, how can you expect understanding? What the devil's wrong with that girl? Her PQ is in a nosedive. Her what? Personality quotient. That means she's got a low Hooper rating with the wolves of this town. Oh, it's just adolescence, George. Connie lived through it. Yes, the question is, will we? I only know that if I ever have another child, it'll be a government project. Huh? Oh, the Department of Public Health or something. I'll get every pamphlet they print and raise the next one scientifically. Mr. Guilfoyle, coach, class of 22. He's got some bright thoughts for you on how to beat Nebraska. Tell him they just rode me out of town on a rail. Okay, on a rail. I'll talk to him, Geraldine. Oh, I should enter the diplomatic corps. Why don't you write the coach a letter, Mr. Guilfoyle? The coach just loves to get suggestions. Hiya, Mr. Cooper. Hello, Geraldine. Well, you got home safe again, huh? Uh, nobody took a shot at me, if that's what you mean. That's what I mean. Soup spot on, coach. Thanks. I'll go upstairs and get Connie. Connie! Come in, father, if you must. Constance, now you listen to me. You're my father, father. You knew I didn't wish to be disturbed, but if you have something to say to me, I shall listen. What on earth is the matter with you? What's wrong? I'm in the lowest classification a girl could fall to, father. 
I'm... I'm chintzy. Chintzy? Is that bad? Bad? Oh, Father, it's the end. Connie, it's time you and I talk some plain, unadulterated common sense. The only classification I'm interested in is your relationship with this family. You're one of four of us. Therefore, you're entitled to only one-fourth of the tantrums around here. Do you understand? Tantrums? Is that what you think of me? What else do you want me to think? I come home for a little peace and quiet, and do I get a little peace and quiet? No. All I get are problems, and problems about girls at that. You always wanted a boy, didn't you, Father? You were sorry I turned out to be a girl, weren't you? No, Connie, you know that isn't true. Oh, I'm sorry I let you down, Father. I'm sorry I wasn't a potential tackle. Oh, Connie... For heaven's sake, darling, listen to me. I'm not sorry you're a girl. You're a wonderful girl. You're young and attractive. Why, well, you've got everything except maybe a passing grade in Latin. <laughs> I'm a complete and utter mess. That's what I am. Well, you're no such thing. I'm just gruesome. In high school, when the boys look at me, they practically get sick at their stomach. Connie. <laughs> darling, that's ridiculous. Why, before you know it, you'll have dozens of men at your feet groveling, pleading for a kind word. Don't, Father. Don't do this to yourself. The only thing I want to do to myself is feed my face. Now get up off that bed and come down to dinner at once. <laughs> Connie, please come down to dinner. I can't. I just can't. Well, I guess Connie isn't coming down after all. Did you common sense her, Pop? Just concentrate on your soup, Ellen, and don't suck it. Drink it. Liz, we, uh, we gotta be especially nice to Connie. Something is wrong with her. Connie's a pill. You sign off. <laughs> Ain't Ophelia coming down? <clears throat> She's, uh, not feeling well, Geraldine. She needs a lot of rest and privacy. She needs a quick belt on the chops. Geraldine. Okay, I'll bring her a tray. Exercise will do me good. Nothing heavy, Geraldine. Just a poached egg. Eggs, eggs, him and his corny jokes. What? Not you, dear. The grocer, Pop. Schultz. Schultz? He sent us goose eggs instead of hen's eggs. Says goose eggs is more fitting for the coach's diet. Ha, ha. I don't want to get you down, Mr. Cooper. He's just burned on account of I won two bucks off him on today's game. Well, good for you, Geraldine. Pop, but Geraldine bet on the other team. Uh, finish your soup. Pop, is Connie going to church tomorrow or just sit in her room? Let's wait till tomorrow and find out, shall we? I know I'm sure going to church, and I'm going to pray for Pop. That's very sweet of you, dear. You bet. For a whole new backfield and an end who can catch passes. And we were very happy to have you come to church with us, Connie, but would you mind telling me something? What is it, Father? What made you run away from us just now? Far be it from me to humiliate you, Father. What? Oh, it was quite obvious you were all ashamed of me. Oh, Connie, not that I blame you, Father. Blame me for what? For not introducing me to those men you were talking to. What men? The remnants of your football team, darling. But I was just saying hello to the boys. Am I supposed to introduce her to half the state you team at church? Well, of course not, Father. Pardon me if I walk on ahead. She's a creep. Ellen, is that a nice thing to say? Don't you like your sister? Well, sure I like her, bless her pointed little head, but she's still a creep. You be nice to her, you hear me? Okay. Hey, Connie, hey, wait a minute. Isn't it obvious that I prefer to walk through life alone? Oh, I got news for you. Somebody asked for you back there in church. Who? You mean you didn't see him? 
He was devoon, simply devoon. Oh, you're making it up. I am not. He even asked me your name. Well, who was he? What's his name? His, uh, his name? Of course you're making it up. Oh, yeah? Well, his name happens to be Joe. Uh, 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 Joe Birch. And he asked for our phone number, and he's going to give you a buzz. So there. Father, how can you let her do this to me, ridicule me, and lie to me? All right, she's lying. You come back here and walk with us, Ellen. Very well, Father. What's wrong with that girl? Nothing, dear. She's just going through a phase. Next time, Liz, couldn't we just have a nice, quiet cocker spaniel? <laughs> they shed. Ellen, where are you going, dear? Oh, just next door to play with Daphne Sullivan. Oh, I want to know something first. Are you sure a young man in church was asking about Connie? For heaven's sake, Liz. Connie doesn't exactly have two heads, you know. Of course he was asking about her, right, Ellen? It was a big, fat lie. Why did you do that? Well, you said I should be nice to Connie. Anyway, it probably gave her a thrill. I give up. Poor Connie. She certainly is getting an inferiority complex. Say, Coach, some Mr. Fennecke called, class of 07. He's got a shovel play for next week's game. Tell Mr. Fennecke to take his shovel play and... I told him. <laughs> Thanks. I'll be out on the porch, Liz. Hiya, neighbor. Oh, hello, Sully. You feel like raking leaves? I've got an extra rake. Thanks. Just you wait, Sully. Just you wait. Uh, wait for what? Till your daughter Daphne gets as old as my daughter Connie. Yeah, I've been meaning to ask you about Connie. Is, uh, uh, she sick or something? Well, not according to Liz. Oh, just at that age, huh? Well, it's probably very simple, Coop. Connie's got her mind on boys, that's all. She thinks like Madame Pompadour, feels like Lana Turner, and looks like Connie Cooper. <laughs> right. But what do I do about it? Oh, be sympathetic. Encourage her to go out with the boys. She doesn't need encouragement. The boys do. Like this, uh, Joe Birch character. Uh, Joe Birch? Well, there isn't any Joe Birch. Ellen made him up to make Connie feel better. Oh, hey, hey, that's a great idea. Oh, sure, <laughs> except Connie didn't believe it. Hey, now, look, Coop, this may sound silly, but if I were you, I'd go down to the drugstore... Phone Connie and say that you're Joe Birch. Yeah. Why, well, it'd tickle her pain. Oh, but she'd recognize my voice. Huh? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But what about you? Hey, why don't you call her? Me? Oh, now, wait a second. She's not my daughter. She's your daughter. Yeah, she sure is. Oh, well. Maybe I'll think of something. See you later, Sully. Yeah, while you're thinking, dream up a play that'll score you a touchdown. <laughs> Mr. Jessup, uh, George you. will be so happy to see you. He's there in the living room taking a nap. Oh, George, dear, George, wake up. Mr. Jessup. Uh -huh. Oh, lunch already? Mr. Jessup, dear. Oh, oh, how are you, Jess? Great, simply great. I hope I'm not disturbing you, Coop, but this couldn't wait till tomorrow. Mr. Jessup has a new play for the Santa Clara game. Mm. Mrs. Cooper, how did you know? <laughs> Woman's intuition. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Now, now, just look at this, George. It's a razzle-dazzle play, and I put it all down on paper for you. Oh, it's a sweetheart, simply great. Well... Well, the only thing now, is... Now, George, you've got to use this play next Saturday. Santa Clara won't know what's happening to him. Isn't that nice, George? The coach just loves getting suggestions, Mr. Jessup. Uh, now, now, listen carefully, George. As you can see, it's not too easy to execute. It starts with a modified T formation. The end's cheated out like this, you see. Oh, and... I'll get it, Liz. Hello? George, this is Sully. Okay, I'm a schnook. Bring on the pigeon. What? 
Why, you owe... Hey, just hang on. I'll call her. Who's it for, dear? Oh, for Connie, naturally. Our older daughter's very popular, Jess. Well, whoever wants her. Well, it sounds like somebody at the corner drugstore. Huh? Connie! And just how does somebody at the corner drugstore sound? Yes, Father? Another phone call for you, dear. What? Uh, look, George, I can only stay a moment. Oh, sure, Jess. Yeah, now sure. the ball is snapped back to the quarterback who pulls a it's spinner probably and... probably Betty let me know if two parts peroxide and one part ammonia really make a gray streak or not. I think gray streaks are terribly distinguished, don't you, Mother? Oh, terribly, especially on a child your age. <laughs> yes. Um, now the fullback crosses and takes it on the rock. Hello? Hello. Uh, the fullback lugs it across the field with both halfbacks behind Who? him. Uh, Mother, it's a boy. Who? The fullback. No, then he shoves it back to the left halfback. I think see? he said his name was Joe Birch. The fullback? Joe Birch. Then Ellen was telling the truth. George, we've got to do something about that child. She's even lying now about her lying. Honestly? Well, that's awfully nice of you, Mr. Birch. What? You're a freshman? But you sound so terribly mature and everything. Mother, he's a college man. Well, isn't that... Well, it so happens I haven't a thing to do this afternoon. I did have a tentative date, but I broke it. Can I ask him, Mother? Oh, certainly, darling. Elizabeth, no, no, Connie, I forbid it. But now, Father, really, George. It's 689 Miller Road, Mr. Birch, right off the campus, and I'm going to hang up right now so you can't say no. Goodbye. Oh, Mother. Easy does it, darling. Well, Coop, what do you think of the play? Some razzle-dazzle, huh? Yeah. Elizabeth, this Joe Birch might be a juvenile delinquent or something. Oh, don't be silly, George. Uh, the only trouble with the play is it requires seven passes. They're only little passes, but there are seven of them. Will you help me, Mother? I've simply got to change my dress. Yeah, maybe you'd like to study this. I'm just trying to help, George. It might win for a Saturday. Something's got to. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh wait a second, Jess. I'll walk out with you. Liz? Yes, dear? I'll be right back. I just want to see Sully for a minute. <laughs> Look, Sully, I appreciate your calling Connie, but are you nuts? Did you have to make a date with her? A date? I didn't make any date. Yes, you did. No, but, but Coop, I hung up. I heard Daphne come in, so I, so I hung up. Maybe you hung up, but Connie didn't. Joe Birch has a date with her this afternoon. She told him so. Oh, that's awful. Is there something I can do? No, no, of course not. Well, it was a crazy idea calling her in the first place. I'll think of something, I hope. It will be soon, Ellen, so don't go away. Oh, hello, Coach. Hi. Pop, is Mr. Sullivan going to college? Don't bother your father with silly questions, dear. You know Mr. Sullivan is a professor. Well, Daphne just told me that she just heard her father gurgling on the phone like a worn-out wolf, telling somebody that he's a freshman in college. <laughs> oh, but, Ellen, that's the most ridiculous... George Cooper. <laughs> Daphne thinks she ought to tell her mother. George, you didn't. Father's little helper, aren't you, Ellen? Oh, no, no, you couldn't. Oh, but Liz, you said yourself it's what Connie needed. Oh. My intentions were... Oh, my poor darling up there full of goosebumps about some boy who isn't even going to happen. Well, she's my poor darling, too. You said yourself, ego and adolescence. Which is difficult enough for Connie without having her father completely foul her up. Gee! That's enough out of you. Go to your room. Well, the only thing to do is tell her. And the sooner the better. No, 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 Liz, don't do it. And why should we continue this disgraceful deception? Well, because she's happy with her goosebumps. Let her keep them. Connie's happy over something that isn't going to last. Are you afraid to tell her the truth? George, you're a coward. Yes, I am. And the longer we put off telling her the truth, the longer she'll be happy. <laughs> All right, I, I did it. I'll tell her. 
I'll tell her just as soon as... Just as soon as I get up the courage. Very well. At least I can try and prepare her. Here you are, Mr. Cooper. What's that? Two fingers of straight courage. Thanks. (laughs) Before we return with Act Two, uh, Father was a fullback. Here's Libby Collins, our Hollywood reporter. Libby, have you seen Betty Hutton in the hit musical, Andy Get Your Gun? Well, Mr. Keeley, I went out to Metro-Golden-Mail while they were filming it. But I'm dying to see the finished production. It's in Technicolor, you know. Yes, indeed. You know, the story of Annie Oakley has real drama as well as adventure. And Betty Hutton gives it all the zest and vitality it deserves. And there's a brand new star, Howard Keel. In the part of Frank Butler, he brings romance and a wonderful voice to this sparkling musical. Louis Kelhern as Buffalo Bill and Edward Arnold as Pawnee Bill certainly prove that there's no business like show business. Why, Mr. Keeley, that's the title of my favorite song in the picture. Well, it's rather hard to choose from all the famous Irving Berlin tunes in the picture. And Betty Hutton really knows how to put over a song. She's never had a better background for her talents than in Annie Get Your Gun. A Wild West show, trick riders, Indian raids. This MGM picture is one excitement after another. And that includes Betty, the human dynamo. (laughs) Well, she's continuously exciting, John. So enthusiastic about everything she does. And always so radiantly good-looking. A beauty aid she depends on is Lux Toilet Soap. She's keen about that new bath-size cake. The bath-size Lux Toilet Soap is made to please lovely stars like Betty. It's as luxurious as a soap can be. Betty tells me there's nothing more refreshing than a Lux Soap beauty bath, especially after one of those dance routines. Gives her skin all over Lux loveliness, so quickly. That creamy, abundant lather does the trick. Yes, it leaves skin feeling soft and smooth, beautifully fresh. And screen stars love the delicate perfume Lux Soap has, a flower-like fragrance that lasts. Yes, for lovely arms and shoulders... For all over complexion beauty, this satin-smooth bath cake is the choice of women everywhere. Your store is featuring Lux Toilet Soap now. Be sure to put both the bath and the complexion size on your shopping list. Try the beauty soap 9 out of 10 screen stars use. Fragrant white Lux Toilet Soap. Now, our producer, Mr. William Keeley. Act two of Father Was a Fullback, starring Maureen O'Hara as Liz, Paul Douglas as George, with Betty Lynn as Connie. (laughs) Connie Cooper still doesn't know that Joe Birch, the young man she thinks she has a date with, simply doesn't exist. Now, in her prettiest dress, her face aglow, Connie comes downstairs to await his arrival. I can't believe it, Mother. To think he'll be here any minute. Now, Connie, calm down, dear. The chances are he won't even show up. Won't even show up? Say, just look at you. You certainly are something to make your old dad proud. Oh, you're not so old, Daddy. He will be by tomorrow. Mother, (laughs) when Mr. Birch comes, do you think I ought to be sort of leaning languorously over a chair, sort of? I think your father ought to be leaning languorously over the piano bench for a good swift kick. Now, Liz, I told you it wasn't my fault. My intentions were the best. I'd hate to see them at their worst. I don't understand this conversation at all. Darling, the time has come for your father to make a confession. Liz, for heaven's sake, have a heart. High time, George. Well, all right, then. Uh, Connie. Yes, Daddy? Well, Connie, I... 
I think maybe you better start calling me father again. Something's wrong. It was just one of those accidents of fate. Mother? No, darling. Well, maybe I can explain it this way. Uh, you see, Connie, in your case, straight line play wasn't working, so your poor old father thought he'd get into the game with a deception play. Father, what are you talking about? Well, I... Uh, uh, I'll get it. Oh, no, no, I'll get it. Oh, Mother, I'm petrified. Now, now, dear, it's just Professor Sullivan. Professor Sullivan? Yes? Well, I got here. I'm Joe Birch. Joe Birch? I'm, oh, I mean, <laughs> Joe Birch? Well, don't you know about it? Professor Sullivan said... Take it easy. I mean, where'd you come from? Well, uh, Sundays I work in a service station, see, where he gets his gas. Professor Sullivan, he says, for five bucks while I come over here and say I'm Joe Birch and visit with some dame? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, Joe Birch, come in, come in. Connie's waiting for you. <laughs> This is your father's idea of a joke. Yes, sir, Joe. We've been expecting you. How are things, Joe? Oh, Connie, I want you to meet one of your admirers, Joe. This is my daughter, Connie. How do you do? Hi. George, what on earth oh, are you... Oh, I'm sorry, dear. Joe, this is Connie's mother. Hello? How do you do, Mr. Birch? You, uh, are Mr. Birch? Well, of course he's Mr. Birch, dear. But, George... Uh, sit down, Joe. Uh, you'll excuse me, won't you? I have to run the pictures of yesterday's game. Boy, you sure took a shellac in it. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, nice to see you, Joe. Glad to have met you, Mr. Birch. Yeah, likewise. And just where did you dig him up? What do you mean, dig him up? Looks like a very nice fella. I said where, George? Well, Sully got him. But isn't it wonderful? Connie's first date. I don't like it, and I'm warning you, if anything goes wrong, oh, I... Oh, Liz, stop it, will you? Nothing's going to go wrong. Come on, now, read the Sunday paper. Go on, relax. Well, Mr. Birch, I, uh... <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. You were about to say something? No. Oh. You, you know, know what? I... Oh, I'm sorry. You tell me. Well, um, I, uh, I was only going to say that you're not as bad as I... I mean, you're much prettier than I expected, considering the deal. I, uh, I mean, even prettier, you know? No. Well, I mean, um... You sure got it, girl. Honestly? <laughs> well, that's an awfully nice thing to say. Yeah. I, um, I thought you'd have a mustache. No, I haven't. Well, I only thought. They're tough to grow, believe me. Oh, I believe you, Mr. Birch. <clears throat> yes? Nothing. <laughs> Shall, um... Shall we just sit here and chat? Yeah. It's okay by me. It's better than wiping windshields. <laughs> what a clever thing to say. I never thought of it that way before. You know, Mr. Birch, it's always been one of my very... See, Liz, they're getting along fine, just fine. Well, I'm not budging till he comes out. Oh, for heaven's sake. Coach, Coach, I got one. Where's Connie? In the living room and get away from that door. But I got a surprise for her. This way, Porky. Hi, Connie. Well, come on, Porky, get in Ellen. here. My name's Joe Birch. I saw you in church. I'm a freshman. <laughs> Are you Connie Cooper? Ellen, no, no, we, we got one already. Get this kid out of here. My poor darling. I said just what you told me to, Ellen. But but how'd that other fella get oh, in here? Liz, I didn't know Ellen was going to get I certainly wish you'd tell me these things, Pa. Blackmail. 
Oh, Mother, how could you let them do this to me? Now, don't get upset, darling. There's just been a mistake, that's all. I'll say. When Professor Sullivan hired me, he didn't say there was going to be more than one. Blackmail and barter, all the humiliation. Yes? I'm Joe Birch, the college man. Now, look, you. Hiya, sailor. I come like you said, Geraldine. Oh, no, not another one. Well, I was just trying to help, Coach. Thanks very much. Well, I guess you're too late, Pete. The position's been filled. Uh, how about tonight, you and me, huh? Ah, oh, go away. George Cooper, I hold you entirely responsible. I hope you realize you've given Connie a complex. Her psyche will be scarred from this as long as she lives. Have you seen mine lately? <laughs> State University team leaves for Santa Clara game. Coach Cooper confident of victory against Santa Clara. And Santa Clara blank State U 13 to nothing. Experts predict State U to beat Nebraska. Cooper confident of victory against Nebraska. Nebraska whips State U 7 to 6. You must be tired out, darling. Well, we'll be home in a few minutes. Just sit back and relax. Oh, um, how's the trip? Don't ask. Kids all right, honey? Oh, fine. Connie? I think she's about recovered from that Joe Birch disaster. She, well, she's got a little surprise for you. I, I let her redecorate her room all by herself. How much did that cost? Oh, only $76. Uh, George, dear, you've got to realize that Connie is entering a very delicate period. Yeah? So am I. If I don't win a football game, that 76 fish is going to come in mighty handy when we're slowly starving to death. After all, George, it was your fault the whole thing happened. But what has Joe Birch got to do with Connie's room? Well, having been snobbed by society, Connie's decided to express her personality in a career. What kind of a career? She hasn't told me yet. Uh, George, I'm sorry about the Nebraska game. Yeah. Virginia next week, huh? At home. Oh, I do hope you win, George. Oh, uh, by the way, isn't that an alumni dinner the same night? Please, don't remind me. Hiya, Mr. Cooper. Welcome Hello. home. Oh, Geraldine. How are you? I'm beat to the socks. Oh, boy, that game on Saturday. Did I sweat out the last quarter of that clam bake? I had two bucks riding. Sorry you lost, Geraldine. She didn't lose, dear. Now, look, Geraldine. I'm about as broad-minded as they come, but do you think it's loyal to take the money I pay you and bet against me? Oh, what's so wrong? You want I should bet on you and lose the shirt off my back? After all, dear, the money is hers. Gives a man a feeling he's nursing a serpent in his bosom or something. Look, Mr. Cooper, a buck is a buck. Hello, Father. Hiya, honey. How are you? Oh, I'm quite well, Father. Thank you. Hiya, Coach. Hello, Ellen. Just look, Pop. Just look at Connie's room. Well, quite a change. But uh, for $76, isn't this a little stark? Well, I spent most of the money for the tools of my trade. Oh, what are you going to be, a monk? <laughs> well, the fact is, Father, I, I'm dedicating myself to literature. Oh, 
I hope you'll excuse me now. I, I was just about to start my story. Oh, go right ahead, honey. I, I'll drop in on you later. Can I watch you, Connie? Can I? Well, for a minute. What are you going to write about this time? More true confessions? No, because I never did hear from my dancing story. This time I'm going to write real-life stories. There's just one difficulty. There is? Yes. In order to write about real life, you have to draw on something secret and sinful in your past. It says so in the writer's handbook. And, of course, the title has to immediately get the reader's interest. How do you like, I was a bigamist? It doesn't get my interest. Well, how about, I was a mother at 15? But you don't know the first thing about it. Oh, I could find out, couldn't I? I mean, by writing and, and asking questions. Who tell you anything like that? Why, the government, of course. Hey, maybe you're right. I heard Mom say if she ever had another one, it'd be strictly between her and the United States government. <laughs> Why, of course. That's a wonderful idea. Now run along, dear. I'll, I'll be very busy for quite a while. Box, ladies and gentlemen, during this really great football game. Score is still nothing to nothing with only three minutes remaining. It states fall, second down on about six yards to go. Oh, oh, please, listen to me. Not now, Jess. I'm trying to watch the game. Yeah, but now's the time. Now. Here's where you've got to use the razzle-dazzle. If you don't use that play now, you're crazy. Jess, for the love of Mike, go and get lost. What? You heard me get out of here before they carry out. Well, well, I must say... Coop. Hello, Sully. Uh, oh, that was a good game, Coop. The best all year, but uh, where are you going? I thought I'd try and sneak out the south gate before Jessup and the vigilantes get a posse together. Well, why? What's wrong? Uh, apart from losing. Oh, he tugged at my sleeve and I blew my top. Yeah, that wasn't smart. I know. Well, phone him later and apologize. No. I said too much and too loud. That's yeah, better than beachcombing. Besides, Jessup probably feels silly about it. Well, that was a great game, Coop. Tell that to the alumni tonight. Yeah, I'd be glad to. Those boys of yours played as good football as they're capable of playing. They played better than they're capable of playing, but it wasn't enough. That's not your fault. Your job is to teach and tell you. You can't play for them. Thanks, Sully. Well, I mean, after all, Virginia won on a fluke. Anybody who kicks a field goal in the last ten seconds of play from the 45-yard line, I mean, well, well I mean, after all... I bet you're kind to animals, too, aren't you? Well... <laughs> Come on, Sully. Ride home with me and I'll buy you a drink. Ah, uh, you just twisted my arm, Coach. Let's go. Right, looks like we're the only ones home, Sully. And it also looks as if the mailman's been here. Yeah. Holy smoke, look. Well? Mrs. George Cooper, Mrs. George Cooper, Mrs. George... Look at this, Sully. All for Liz from Washington. What's your wife doing, running for Congress? It's a steadier job than coaching. Hey, hey, you're not going to read Elizabeth's mail, are you? Why not? It's better than reading my own. Huh? What in the world? Hey, Sully, look. Facts about the care of infants. And this, another pamphlet, what every new mother should know. New mother. It, it can't be Elizabeth. Oh, look at the envelope. It says Mrs. George Cooper, doesn't it? Well, what do you know? Your newborn baby. My newborn baby! Well, maybe you and Elizabeth have secrets from each other. Oh, I just can't... 
I can't. Why wouldn't Liz tell me? Well, maybe she just wants to surprise you. A thing like fatherhood is nothing to surprise a man with. Well, don't get sore, Coop. Sore? I, I'm delighted. I, I, it's wonderful. Well, I'm going home and tell my wife. It might stir some ambition in her. Yeah, tell her. <laughs> yeah, look. Coop, call up Jessup. Tell him the news. It might help things. I'll take a rain check on that drink, Papa. Very big of you to apologize, George. Mighty big. You see, I was right, don't you? We could have won that game this afternoon. I know, Jess. I, I was too nervous, upset. You see, I'm going to have a baby. Huh? I, I mean, I mean, Liz is going to have a baby. Well, congratulations. All the more reason for winning that Tulane game next week. Remember, it's the last game of the season, and it's very important. Particularly to you, George. Yeah, I, I know. Uh, you haven't forgotten about making a speech tonight. Oh, oh, no, no, I haven't forgotten. See you in a couple of hours, Jess. Everybody loves a baby. Liz! Oh, sorry I'm late, darling. Oh, I Liz. just stopped off at the market. You wonderful, wonderful woman. Why, Mr. Cooper. Oh, darling, come on in here and sit right down. What a day, what a day, sweetheart. From these tired eyes, it looked as if Virginia won that game. The heck with Virginia. It's you I'm talking about. You and us and everything. George, do you feel all right? Liz, why didn't you tell me? Tell you what? Oh, you're going to be cute, huh? Well, the least you could have done was warn me, knitted a booty or something. Oh, 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 George, are you under the impression that I, that I'm on the nest? Liz, you're the most wonderful woman I ever married. Oh, true, darling, but I'm not going to have a baby. I couldn't be happier why I was, you're not? Uh-uh. But Liz, you got to. I mean, I, I told Jessup. Sully knows, and I... I okay, okay, I'll, I'll talk to my husband no, about no, it. No, no, I mean the pamphlets. What pamphlets? Well, those pamphlets you ordered from the government of the United States. Here, look at them, all addressed to you. Liz, this is no time to play games. But I didn't send for those pamphlets. Well, who did? Oh, probably one of the children. When I was a sprout, I was always sending for things like what every young girl should know. Did you ever find out? Now, look, George, if... Ella? Is that you, dear? In a minute, Mom. What's that you've got? Oh, just a hot water bottle. It's for Connie. She's all doubled up like a bullfrog. She she feels just awful. Who? Connie, Pop. Connie? Oh, g give it to me, Ellen. I'll take it right up to her. Liz, it, it couldn't be. Those things were addressed to you, not her. Oh, they came, huh? Connie sent away for them. These pamphlets? Oh, no. <laughs> She used Mom's name because she didn't think it would look right for that kind of stuff to be sent to a Miss Cooper. Oh, George. Oh, my gosh, my little Connie. Oh, my poor little girl. Before we bring you Act Three, our father was a fullback. Here's our very young guest of the evening, Miss Leslie Gay. Leslie, though only 15, is being tested at 20th Century Fox Studios. But meanwhile, you're not neglecting your schoolwork, Leslie. No, Mr. Keeley. My sister Deborah and I have been going to the schoolhouse on the studio lot for a year. I'm used to combining stage and school. You see, my whole family's in the theater. I've been on the stage since I was nine. Your main interest is singing and dancing, isn't it? Oh, yes. And I dream of doing a musical comedy part someday. If ever I could be half as wonderful as Betty Grable. Mm-hmm. Then you must have enjoyed seeing Wabash Avenue, Betty's latest Technicolor musical. You know, in a way, the plot tells Betty's own story and might predict a similar one for you, Leslie. 
a young and unknown actress rises to the top in the entertainment field. Wabash Avenue was a delightful picture, Mr. Keeley. The romance between Victor Mature and Betty Grable and Phil Harris playing his rival. And how adorable Betty is, with that shining blonde hair and a simply heavenly complexion. Well, Leslie, that luxe complexion of Betty Grable's is famous. Every time I see Betty Grable, I tell myself, it's Lux Soap care for me. That's a smart beauty result for any girl to make. Lux Soap facials are quick and easy, but they really work. Of course. That's why so many famous stars say they'd never be without Lux Toilet Soap. Recent tests by skin specialists prove how effective daily facials with Lux Soap's active lather can be. In actually three out of four cases, complexions became softer, smoother, in a short time. Thank you, Leslie Gay, for coming tonight. Now, here's a suggestion to every woman who wants lovelier skin. Try gentle white Lux Toilet Soap. See for yourself why nine out of ten screen stars use Lux Toilet Soap. We pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. You're listening to Same Time, Same Station, the best of old-time radio. And I'm your host, Jerry Hendigas. The curtain rises on Act Three of Father Was a Fullback, starring Paul Douglas as George, Maureen O'Hara as Liz, with Betty Lynn as Connie. At the George Cooper residence, things are still in a state of imminent disaster. But poor old George has had to rush away. An alumni dinner's in progress, and George is expected to make a very important speech. Uh, uh, and now, gentlemen, it affords me great pleasure to call upon the head coach of state's great football, of state's football team, our own Coop. Uh, George, what's the matter with you? Huh? I've just introduced you. Snap out of it, man. Oh, and it introduced me. Oh, uh, well, gentlemen, uh, I, uh, uh, I'd like Excuse to... Excuse me, Mr. Cooper, but you want it on the phone. Your wife, sir, important. Oh, thanks. Pardon me, gentlemen. I, I'll be right back. You don't have to shout, George. I can hear you. But I can't hear you. I thought you said hospital. That's just what I did say. I'm at the hospital now, and everything's going to be all right. Connie has acute indigestion. She's got acute what? <laughs> acute indigestion. Dreadful emergency. They're pumping her stomach now. Isn't it wonderful, George? Oh, what a relief. Dr. Adams drove us to the hospital. He's with her now, of course. Cheerleaders tell me that they have a dandy new... Oh, well, well, he's back again. All right, Coop, the floor is yours. Yes, isn't it wonderful? They're pumping her stomach now. <laughs> what are you talking about? Coop, what's the matter? Your speech. Speech? Oh, oh yes, yeah, speech. Uh, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry to have run out on you, gentlemen. A little crisis at home, but it's all straightened out now. Well, we've had a rough year, all right. I don't have any alibis. The boys played their hearts out, and I tried too. But we've got to have better material next year. We've got to get kids like this local boy, Hercules Smith, the highest-scoring high school quarterback in the country. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking maybe next year you ought to have someone else coaching. Well, gentlemen, I'll be frank. I like it here. Uh, what about next Saturday, Coop? What about Tulane? Yes, that's our big game. And I know that any year we beat Tulane is a good year no matter what's gone before. 
I'll make you a promise, gentlemen. We're going to take Tulane. And just how are you going to do it, Coop? I can't tell you that, Mr. Higgins. You might be scouting for Tulane. (laughs) But I've got a surprise up my sleeve. A surprise, one I've been saving. And when we hit Tulane's 30-yard line, we're going all the way. We're going to fight, and we're going to win. Ah, good, good, good. That's telling him, Coop. You keep that promise, and I'll keep everything else under control, if you know what I mean. Thanks, Jess. Thanks. Well, where's the mail, Ellen? Anything for me? I had to hide it under my sweater. Here. Daddy didn't see it. Well, almost. Hasn't he left for the football game? Not yet he hasn't. I'm getting awful tired having to smuggle you rejection slips up to your room, Connie. But I told you, Mother and Father might not approve of the type of literature I've been writing. Neither do the magazines. All I ask for is to be left alone and... Holy smoke, Helen, look! Look, a check for $180 for my dancing story we never heard from. Oh, it's a gag. Oh, it is, is it? Listen to this. Dear Miss Cooper, we enclose our check for $180 in payment for your story, which is appearing in the current issue of our magazine. Gee, Connie, your own true confession. Oh, Ellen, quick. Run down to the drugstore and get a copy. Take a quarter from behind Gregory Peck's picture. Oh, my own name in print. Oh, and don't you dare say a word to mother or father. Not tell him we're living with an author? Father absolutely forbade me to do anything again without consulting him. Of course, I wrote this before I promised, but, well, he's not very understanding sometimes. Roger, Dodger, Connie, I won't say a word. Did you just see Ellen, George? No, but I heard her. She tore out of this house like a tornado. We've got to do something about that child. She's full of adrenaline. How's our other one? I must say, darling, the change in Connie is simply amazing since you laid down the law to her. Well, you have to be strong, that's all. Just strong and firm, that's all. All set for the Tulane game this afternoon, dear? Yep. We can always go back to Elm Tree High. Oh, no, I'm going to win today, Liz. I've got a secret play, and I'm not even going to tell... I'll get it, dear. Uh-oh, looks like Jessup, doesn't it? I'll go. Another razzle-dazzle play. Probably. Don't worry, honey. I'll be very patient with him. Well, good morning, For heaven's Jess. sakes, George, what are you trying to do? Huh? Is something wrong? Wrong. Here, I'm trying my best to keep you at State U, and the president of the college calls to tell me about... about this. I don't get you, Jess. This magazine. Well, look at it. I was a child bubble dancer. By... By Constance Cooper. George! This is the end, Liz. This is positively the end. Now, 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 George, don't lose your temper, George. After all, it may be just some kind of a mistake. I'll say it's a mistake. Constance, what is the meaning of this? Did you or did you not write this? Oh, the magazine. Now, now, don't be mean to me, Daddy. I'll get a relapse. I'll give you a relapse right on your southern hemisphere. How could you, Connie? Just listen to this. Every night when my parents think I'm asleep in bed, I am downtown at the Gaiety Theater, dancing my heart out behind a bubble. (laughs) Well, I certainly don't know why you're so cross. I fully intend to share my check for $180 with the entire family. Don't try to talk your way out of this, you... you bubble dancer. 
I, I tell you, Liz, if you think her psyche was scarred by that Joe Birch business, wait till you get a load of it after this. She'll be the laughing stock of every kid in high school. They'll read this trash and bust their buttons. Now, now darling, the, the game. Uh, hadn't you better be on your way? Yes, yeah, I better leave. I'll see you there later, dear. And before you go, kindly tie a ball and chain to this poor man, Sally Rand, and nail it in concrete. <laughs> I don't know why he has to pick on me all the time. Now, that'll be enough, Connie. Now, look. Your father's had a pretty tough time this season. You may not like football, Connie, but did you ever stop to think that it gives you your food and your clothing and the roof over your head? We ought to be very proud that he's the coach. It took years of effort and skill to get there. Mother, I know, and, and I love him, but, but he just doesn't try to understand. Understanding works two ways, Connie. We're a family and we must work together. We're all each other has... We must be very gentle with him when he's nervous and love him very much when he's discouraged. And we should try to understand him. I'm sorry, Mother. If you are, then, then you do understand. And remember, darling, when he gets home tonight, we're his team, too. And no matter what This traditional football game between State U and Tulane is about to get underway. Coming out on the field now, the State University football squad. Well, I better get out there, Liz. Keep your fingers crossed, honey. I know you're going to win, George. And just to make things easier, well, I had a long talk with Connie and straightened her out. Nothing like I'll straighten her out when I get home. She's not home, dear. Not home? She's here at the game. With a date, George. You mean she got a date all by herself? Well, naturally. What's natural about it? Well, the funniest thing happened, George. Ever since that article appeared, her uh, true confession, the phone's been ringing like crazy and every Lotharia from high school's climbed on the woo wagon. The woo what? Well, the fact is, George, that article has made her the most popular girl in town. Yes, it looks like Connie can take that Band-Aid off her psyche now. Well, what do you know? And guess who's taking her to the game? Who? Joe Birch. Good luck, darling. And here we are, ladies and gentlemen, about six minutes into the fourth and final quarter of this terrific football game. Still no score. Tulane is going to punt. Yes, there it is. A nice end over end kick going down to state 20-yard line. Well, Jess, we got out of that one all right. What about me, Coach? You ready for me, huh? Uh, not yet, Willie. Go back in the dugout and sit down. Who is he? You'll find out, Jess. But I'm going crazy. There's not much time left. When are you going to pull it off? Oh, what's the gimmick? You can tell me. Just keep your shirt on, Jess. Pretty soon now. But what are you going to do? game, ladies and gentlemen. What a game. With two minutes remaining in this hard-fought contest, Coach George Cooper of State has so far failed to unleash his so-called secret weapon. But even without it, State has fought Tulane to a standstill. It's State's ball on Tulane's 34-yard line, and they're going to... Hold it. State's calling for timeout. George. Now? Oh, please, George, now? Okay, Jess, now. Yeah, but, but what is it? Well, what's the play? It's not a play, it's a player there on the bench. Willie Davis, my secret weapon. That kid? He doesn't even look like a football player. He, he merely happens to be the greatest find our track team has had in 15 years. Track team? 
that boy has unofficially broken the world's record for the 50-yard dash. Even in a football uniform, he's like Breeze Lightning. Yes, I know, but track... For three weeks, we've built plays around this boy, and when he takes off, he'll go through that Tulane team like a tiger shark. Jess, I told you we were going to win this game, and right now is when we're going to do it. All right, Davis. You mean I can get up now? Go in for Murdoch. Get in there, Willie, and get me a touchdown. Yes, sir, I sure... Oh, Willie! Oh, Willie! Coop, what happened to him? He hit his head on the roof of the tiger. Oh, Willie, Willie! Oh, speak to me. Oh, no, no. He's unconscious. Willie, please, Willie. Oh, no, Willie! I can't believe it, George. I still can't believe it. Just 30 seconds left in the game, and Tulane had to throw a 60-yard forward pass. Forget it, Liz. It's all over now. Besides, if Virginia could kick a field goal, Tulane can score in a pass. Oh, I'm so sorry, darling. Well, anyway, we had a few pretty good years here. A few wonderful years. And they never had an undefeated season before you came. Yeah. And it wasn't so bad at Elm Tree High, either. No... But I hate to think of making a change again. It's, it's not fair to the kids. A new town, new faces. You know, I'll... They're in the parlor, Mr. Jessup. Oh, oh, yes. Well, Coop, I don't know what to say. You saw what happened, Jess. Why did you wait so long? Why didn't you send Willie Davis in while he was conscious? Now, look here, Mr. Jessup. Oh, what's the use of talking about it? Uh, Coop, my hands are tied. Personally, I feel sure if it hadn't been for that accident, we'd have won. We'd have smeared them. But you know how it is. Any year we lose to Tulane, well, that's a bad year. I know. You don't have to explain, Jess. You mean George is out? Well, not officially. But if you want a suggestion, don't renew the lease on this house. I see. May I say how sorry I am? Oh, sure, just sure. Thanks for everything. Mom? Daddy? We're in here, Connie. Oh, I thought it was a delightful game, Daddy, and you coached so nicely. Oh, hello, Mr. Jessup. You like the game? Oh, I just love football. So does Joe. Come on in, Joe. Hi. Sharp game, Mr. Cooper. You should have won it. Thanks. Hercules. What? (laughs) This young man. This is Hercules Smith. Oh, yeah, you're Mr. Jessup. You mean Joe Birch is, is Hercules Smith? For Pete's sake, Joe, why didn't you tell me? You never asked me my right name, Coach. Herky boy, listen to me for the last time. Yes, sir? Herky boy, you can't do this to state. You can't desert your own hometown for Notre Dame. We need you here. But I'm not going to Notre Dame. We can... You're not? No, sir. I changed my mind. I'm going to state you after all. You, you, you are? Yeah, I made up my mind. I, I want to be where Connie's going to be. I don't want to be too far away from Connie. Oh, Hercules. Why, that's great. That's simply fine. Congratulations, my boy. You'll never regret this decision. Yes, sir. I guess Connie's about the first girl I ever liked even better than Notre Dame. George! Yes, George, yes. all is not lost. Now, if I tell the alumni I can get Hercules Smith to stay no, here, I know I can sell him on the idea that you... Oh, what a day, Liz. What a day. It's funny, dear, the way things can straighten themselves out. We renew the lease on the house, I get another contract, and no more problems with Connie. Good evening, Mother. Good evening, Father. Father? Ellen, what's the matter with you? I am going to remain in my room alone for the entire weekend until Monday when I have to go back to school. Ellen? 
But until then, Mother, may I kindly have all my meals on a tray? Thank you. Oh, no. Oh, no, not again. <laughs> The curtain falls on Father Was a Fullback, and that well-deserved applause calls back our stars, Maureen O'Hara, Paul Douglas, and Betty Lynn. Paul, as a former football player, you were right in character tonight. I didn't know you played football, Paul. What team? Well, I played a little pro ball with the Fighting Yellow Jackets. Fighting Yellow Jackets? Well, I don't believe I've heard of them. Well, one reason might be it was before you were born, Betty. <laughs> Who'd you play? Well, we, uh... We played the wasps and the hornets. Well, I bet you got stung there. Ouch, Sean. <laughs> Betty, be careful. Your personality quotient is slipping again. But after tonight's play, you can see what happens to old, tired football players. They end up as coaches? No, actors. Playing Betty's father. <laughs> Paul, you seem to have had a varied career. You were also a radio announcer. Go ahead, Paul. Let's hear you sell something. Well, what? What else? Oh, of course. Pardon me. Let's see now. Ladies, uh, Lux Toilet Soap is... Oh, what's the use? All they have to do is look at Maureen O'Hara. Why, Paul. You know, Lux Soap always has been my favorite complexion care. Mine, too. I yes, love it. it will do wonders for the personality quotient, Betty. Oh, uh, what have you planned for next week, Bill? One of the outstanding plays of our time, Maureen. The comedy hit by Kaufman and Hart... The Man Who Came to Dinner. And in the title role, we have the perfect star for the part. Hollywood's delightful Mr. Belvedere, Clifton Webb. And co-starring with Clifton will be Lucille Ball. The play is noted for its sharp wit and gay humor. And you'll meet some of the theater's most fascinating characters on this stage next Monday night. Well, sounds great, Bill. Uh, good night. Good night. Good night and many thanks. Here's a fashion flash from Hollywood. Vivid floral prints on washable silk make enchanting petticoats to wear with the new spring suits. Maureen O'Hara has one with brilliant red roses on a dark background. Of course, it gets Lux Flakes care, just as all her lovely lingerie does. If you hesitate to wash a printed petticoat, test a corner in plain water first. If it's safe in water, it's safe in Lux Flakes. Play safe with all your pretty lingerie. Don't risk wrong washing methods that soon fade colors. Actual tests prove Lux Flakes Care keeps slips and 90s color fresh three times as long. Get Lux Flakes tomorrow. Give all your nice washables that lovely Lux look. Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, Join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday evening when the Lux Radio Theater presents The Man Who Came to Dinner, starring Clifton Webb and Lucille Ball. This is William Keeley saying goodnight to you from Hollywood. Maureen O'Hara appeared through the courtesy of 20th Century Fox, producers of Under My Skin, starring John Garfield. 
Paul Douglas will soon be seen starring in the 20th Century Fox picture, The Big Lift. Betty Lynn also appeared through the courtesy of 20th Century Fox, producers of the Technicolor picture, Cheaper by the Dozen, starring Clifton Webb and Gene Crane. Heard in our cast tonight were Norma Jean Nilsson as Ellen, Jim Backus as Sully, Willard Waterman as Jessup, and Ruth Parrott, Eddie Firestone Jr., Gil Stratton Jr., Charles Wolfe, Bill Johnstone, and Eddie Marr. Our play was adapted by S.H. Barnett, and our music was directed by Louis Silvers. This is your announcer, John Milton Kennedy, reminding you to join us again next Monday night to hear The Man Who Came to Dinner, starring Clifton Webb and Lucille Ball. Stay tuned for My Friend Irma, which follows over these same stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.